episode 116, interview with Dana Lucas Timmerman. Welcome to the Strangers and Aliens podcast. Strangers. <laughs> to boldly say what needs to be said. Would you be a stranger or an alien? Or would you be a strange alien? The truth is out there. I am your father's best friend, Plumber. Superman. Wonder Woman. Heroes. Villains. Captain Picard versus Captain Kirk. Do you think that there's room in sci-fi for God? The very first thing that God did was that he created something. So we have a creative God. This is Strangers and Aliens Podcast. Welcome to Strangers and Aliens, the podcast that examines the cross-section between pop culture and modern culture and uh, Christianity and faith. Um, typically, I uh, am joined by my two uh, regular co-hosts. My name is Steve MacDonald, by the way, and usually I am here with Ben Avery and Dr. Jace O'Neill. Uh, those two are playing hooky tonight, if you can believe that. Um, and have left the uh, left the microphone open for me, so I called one of my buddies, and uh, we're just going to do a podcast. So, uh, Lucas, why don't you introduce yourself? Well, sure, Steve. Uh, my name is Dana Lucas Timmerman. I typically go by Lucas, and I'm a writer. I've been doing it for, wow, 13 years now. Uh, started out in journalism, doing things like, you know, articles and reviews and essays and stuff, and... Uh, done some graphic novels, done some uh, little comic strips and stuff, and now I focus exclusively pretty much on novels. So I'm writing my second novel now and having a lot of fun with it, and uh, yeah, that's me. <laughs> very cool, very cool. And today we're going to talk a little bit about video games and uh, maybe some spiritual applications, uh, maybe some favorites, things like that. I have sort of an old school um, interest in video games, and I think you sort of skew towards the... Uh, the new, the now, the wow. <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, I look at it, especially in today's age with these new systems that came out, the PS4, the Xbox One, and I got to be at E3 this past year, the big electronic expo, mm -hmm. seeing things in person and seeing some of the new games they have coming out, like The Witcher 3 and, and whatnot, and, and seeing what storytelling, storytelling can do in, in that interactive medium and... Uh, just the, the potentials there. It, it looks like it could be amazing, some of the things we have coming out, although it's just going to depend on how much effort is put into the storytelling. But yeah, I, I, I do kind of gear towards that storytelling element that's in, in games and, and kind of excited about what can be accomplished if, if done right. Right, exactly. And um, storytelling in video games, uh, I don't know if, how old people are here, so we're just going to sort of dig into it. And if you can fast forward if this is boring, but <laughs> I mean, you know, in, in the old school of video games, you have a lot of uh, fatalistic video games. If you think about it, you know, Space Invaders, the Space Invaders keep coming until you lose all your ships and <laughs> you can sort of say to yourself, well, I guess the Space Invaders finally come and invade the Earth and I've, I held them off for three minutes. You know, that's my high score or whatever. 
Um, you know, asteroids, same thing. You're destroying asteroids until eventually you get destroyed, and guess what? The asteroids are still there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, I think uh, real storytelling um, probably starts with like Donkey Kong, where you actually have this uh, drama playing out inside the video game, um, where you have the character actually attaining something. And even though you're playing other screens and you're playing other levels, um, the character actually does, at some point, defeat Donkey Kong. And you know, if you take the X's through the eyes as, as if he were dead, then you actually kill Donkey Kong. Um, so, you know, I think that probably is just a rudimentary first step in storytelling. And uh, then you get things like Dragon's Lair, which is, uh, you know, much more of a, um, a linear story told uh, in a video game where you actually have to do the things, uh, and it's a cartoon, basically. You're, you're doing things and making the cartoon do what you want it to do, so in the end you'll have this nice cartoon that ends happily. Um, but from there, I mean, it it jumps off to uh, the you know the Mario games and the you know Sonic games and stuff like that. Um, where do you jump in in the history of of video games and the storytelling aspect? Well, believe it or not, I I actually know all those games you mentioned. Uh, I started out with an Atari, I went to Nintendo, Excellent. and uh, I've been going on ever since then. Um, and yeah, games did start out with that Mario thing, and then I think for a very long time. The video game industry fell in love with the movie industry, and for many, many years, they kept trying to be movies mm-hmm. and uh, failing miserably at it. <laughs> and um, it, that just wasn't their strength. And yeah, especially recently, uh, games have started to get a lot better. Realizing, hey, we're not novels, we're not movies, we're not plays. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is a game element. There's an entertainment element, obviously, but we can really tell some stories. Because if you think about it. You're sitting down reading a book maybe for four or five hours. You're watching a movie for a couple hours. But some of these games can last anywhere between 20 to 100 hours. Some mm-hmm. people in hundreds of hours. That's a long time to be sitting in front of something. And you can really uh, impact a person if, if uh, you make good characters, uh, you have story arcs um, and whatnot. And you have so many strengths that don't exist in other um, medium forms. That's medium. interesting. You know, uh, for instance, uh, in games, you have the moving picture of movies. You have the sounds and the sound effects, the voice acting, things that you would see on TV or movies. But then, unlike movies, and movies have always struggled with this one concept, they cannot show very well the thoughts of a character. You have that in novels. Novels, you go in there, you now you can get into the person's head. Mm-hmm. And, and you really get to know the characters. Well, video games kind of can do that, too. They can actually get into a person's head. Um, some of you guys out there who are into the newer games uh, might think of Last of Us. It's a game that just came out on the PS3 uh, this past year and had this relationship between this little girl and uh, this adult guy. Uh, during. You know, It was during a quote-unquote zombie apocalypse kind of thing, but that wasn't really the crux of the story. The crux of the story was this, this guy who had lost his family, lost his daughter, now having to protect this girl who may hold the secret to curing humanity. And there's this relationship that plays between these two characters throughout this game. You really feel a connection here, uh, you know, over this 20-hour saga. And it becomes a very gripping story, mm-hmm. a very well-told story uh, that all the elements just fall into place, that people are still to this day uh, raving about it. <laughs> they love it still. They play it over and over again. Right. You know? And um, 
I think that's what games can aspire to be. Not every game has to be like that either. You can get your Mario's and stuff, and that's totally fine. Um, but you know, it it just showed me that there are opportunities for writers that exist within video games that have not yet been fully explored, but the potential, the opportunity is there. There's like a window open that uh, I think. I think it's, it could be really cool if done right. Like I said, if done right, you know, uh, that, that's, that's the big key, I think. <laughs> now, where, what I sort of get out of uh, a lot of modern uh, gaming and, and the way that the stories are written and the stories are, are, are done and are able to be explored, there's a lot of postmodern and modernism uh, mindset to it where whatever the outcome of the story is, that's your story. Um, you know, nothing is really set in concrete, and you know if if it ends, you know, fifty one percent good and forty nine percent bad, then you know that's okay. You can take a, a win away from it or whatever. Where do you see concrete storytelling going when it when you're looking at, at a video game like this? You know, you there a lot of them they they play fast and loose with stuff, so you can make all your own decisions, and in the end, you you know, for instance, like the Star Wars ones. Um, you know, if you make certain decisions, you'll become a Sith. And if you make different decisions, you'll become a Jedi. And, you know, a lot of different uh, gradients in between. Where is the concreteness, though? Where can you say, you know, okay, you can have that in a game where a character can choose right or wrong, but in the end, they will know that right is supposed to be the good thing and wrong is supposed to be the bad thing. Do you see that or, or what do you, how do you experience that? Yeah, in a, those games, uh, in particular the Star Wars games, uh, they're made, of course, by a, a very famous company, Bioware, who uh, they didn't, then did a Mass Effect trilogy and uh, they're now doing Dragon Age Inquisition and a new Mass Effect game as well as a new IP, but they really specialize in that. They're, they're called RPGs where you have a character who's kind of has the blank slate where it allows you then to come in and make decisions that impact the world uh, and you kind of create your own character and to a large degree, yeah, you, your choices are kind of, they could either be gray or they could be lighter or dark. Um, the, and that could be very difficult, by the way, as a game company. I can only imagine how uh, just gut-wrenching as a writer that would be uh, talking to some <laughs> of these writers that do games um, one guy was saying that uh, a game script, now you think of a, a novel manuscript, I wrote a, my first novel was about 110,000 words, so you're looking, you know, maybe 600 pages, whatever. The average script for a video game can very easily get to 20,000 pages. It's <laughs> just wow. insane, right? You know, and your movie script's about 101 page per minute of film, so your mm -hmm. average movie script's about 120 pages or whatever, so it's incredible. And you have to account for character choice and whatnot, and if you're not careful, Characters could have so much choice, or players could have so much choice that it could break the story. So the challenge really is to make sure that you have a certain set of themes. I think every writer has to have something to say. There's something you want to say. You know, that's what storytelling really is. It's built on conflict. Uh, that's what kind of gets the story going and keeps the story going. And you have something to say. What is it you have to say about life? What does you have to say about good and evil? What does you have to say about death? What is it you're trying to say? And to make sure that those themes, no matter what, are not broken. Uh, and that then becomes the art. I think the art of, of making a, a game, and it really does come back to storytelling. 
And you can't forget about that. Even though you're doing a video game, even though you're doing a novel, even though you're doing a movie, you can't forget about story. And it is so important to uh, to really sort of elevate story and have story. Because that's what people connect to. People connect to characters. Mm-hmm. People connect to, to the stories. They, they, they walk away from it. They're impacted by it. A really good story impacts you. Now, here's something I want to make clear, though. You don't want those themes to be so overbearing that you can instantly tell these themes are being hit, smacking you in the face with right, it. Right, right. But it's something that after you put it down, you're like, man, that really makes me think. That makes me think about life and death and how fragile life is. This makes me think about things. And I think some stories, uh, some games are getting there. Um, not every game obviously doesn't give you so many decisions. I've really enjoyed the recent string of games, the Batman Arkham games. Mm-hmm. I'm a big Batman fan. Love Batman. And um, oh. uh, very well done games. But um, they just it, it, the characters are so well done. I, I'm not, you know, uh, of course... I guess the Arkham games are made by the same guys. Well, some of the same guys who worked on the uh, Batman animated series from the '90s. So that's kind of oh, why. Cool. <laughs> so that kind of that kind you know Kevin Conroy's Batman. I, every time I hear Batman, I like Kevin Conroy. Right. <laughs> so, but it um, it just the, the characters. I think that's the biggest thing that I notice in games, uh, that are good that I remember. It's the characters I remember the most. What types of games do you, as a Christian, as a person of faith, veer towards? And then, uh, secondly, like, what are some of those characters? What are some of those uh, individual things that you look at in those in those things and say those are the most memorable to me? What type of games I veer towards? You know, we have freedom. We have freedom in Christ. Mm-hmm. But you know, not all things are are good for us. You know, it's kind of like you're running a race and. And you don't want to put on too much baggage, you know. You're wearing like sixty pound backpack on your back while you're trying to run a race. You're not going to win much, you know. Yeah. So I, I pray about things, you know. Um, a game came out last fall, Grand Theft Auto Five, mm-hmm. and uh, I asked God about it. Well, Lord, do you, what do you think? And I just, for me, just felt like that wasn't a game I should get, and so I avoided it. Now, um, for people who don't know that game, why not? Why not? Maybe uh, some warning signs for Christians. Some warning signs, just the, um, I'm not a big fan of profanity every five minutes, uh, just the ability to go out and murder people randomly, uh, well, that's really the thrust of the game, it's, it's, you're not a hero, you're, you're playing from the, uh, from the perspective of three, what you would call villainous characters, you know, they're bank robbers, they're, mm-hmm. they're, one guy's a real sick guy there who's into torturing people. Uh, there's some, I guess, a really disturbing scene involving torture within the game. Mm. There is the sleeping with prostitutes, the use of drugs in the game. Wow. And different things like that. Uh, and yes, there, there's elements of the game that are fantastic in terms of the world that's built. You know, there's things you can sit there and go, wow, but there's, there's certain things. But because there's other stuff in there, it's like, well, you can't really take the good without the bad. You're going to have to have the bad with it if you take it all. And, and it's just better just to avoid altogether. Why why have the excess baggage in, in such a thing like that? Mm-hmm. So uh, that's why I avoided it. I mean, uh, some other some Christians I know don't have no problem with it. I, I for instance, I, I avoid uh, Command & Conquer. Oh, not Command & Conquer. Uh, Call of Duty. I avoid the Call of Duty games. Okay. Uh, and uh, that is a very, very, very popular series It makes a billion dollars or more every year. But it's just killing type stuff? It's just just, just killing other people all the time, you know? And, and uh, the story is not very good. I did the last Call of Duty game I played. The story was just so bad. 
Um, I, I just I couldn't stomach it anymore. Really? <laughs> it, wow. was, it was it was really bad story. They, they didn't even try on the story. And and when you get online, which is where everyone gets those games for anyway, it, it is just basically just killing other human beings. You, you're just fighting in a war. And I don't know. It just something like that for me is kind of mindless, kind of kind of stupid. And, and uh, uh, for me, you know, and other people totally see it differently than that. But that's that's how I feel about that. For me, I look for stories. I mean, when I look at games, I look at, you know, I see the RPGs. I usually try to look at those a lot. I'm looking at games like The Witcher 2 and The Witcher 3, or I look at um, the Bio- BioWare games, obviously, Dragon Age and Mass Effect and Star Wars. I look at games like the Batman Arkham series, uh, the Elder Scrolls series. I have, I was playing over the Christmas holiday, excuse me, the Christmas holiday break, I played the Marvel Lego game. Is that cool? It was really cool. <laughs> <laughs> it's just really neat. It's the best Marvel game I've ever played. It, you know, it figures the guys who actually are owned by DC Comics uh, and Warner Brothers is the one who made the Marvel game, and they made the best Marvel game. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Irony there, right? <laughs> yeah. But, um, you know, story is so important, and that's what I really remember. Uh, and it's probably why I keep coming back to certain games like BioWare, because they hit the, they, their characters are so memorable. It's why I play the Arkham games because those Rocksteady, they got Batman. They just get Batman. It's like I'm reading this new series in the comic books, the graphic novels, uh, reading Scott Snyder's series here on Batman. And as I've been reading, it's like, well, he really gets the character. Mm-hmm. And because he gets the character, I really want to see where he takes the character because he's understanding what he's writing about. He's read the source material. You know, he's not like one of those filmmakers who looks like Voyage of the Dawn Treader. Where he just picks up the book and says, "Hey, that sounds like a cool movie name. Let's make a movie on it." And then doesn't ever read the book and then makes right. a movie. Yeah, you know, at least that's what it felt like. And it's like they they read the source material, and they're true to it, and now they take it places. You know, and uh, that's what I really look for. And and some of the characters have just been so memorable. I think of playing a game like Star Wars: Knights of the Old Republic, and that game came out a few years ago. It was uh, Bioware's big splash on the consoles. They were always a PC game company before that. And uh, it was just such a memorable game. I'm going to give some spoilers away. So here it is. <laughs> uh, your main character, you're playing through this thing. You are a Jedi uh, who happens to have a, a bad case of amnesia. You forget who you are. And you are picking up the Force incredibly fast. You are pretty powerful, which is you know kind of surprising how powerful <laughs> you are. How strange. Well, you, the big twist in the game is you're, you were the, actually the main bad guy, and you lost your memory. And now you have a decision to make. Are you going to be a good guy or a bad guy? And then um, it puts a little bit of a twist, too, is because this girl, Bastilla, is uh, kidnapped. She's turned to the dark side. She's been kidnapped by the Dark Lord. And so now the question is, uh, do you go after her and save her as a good guy, as a bad guy? What are you going to do? And, uh, man, the, the character they made, I think Bastilla was the first Bioware character that really resonated with me. Just, just so well done. Uh, a real personality is a real character is more of a three-dimensional character they they had a personality and you really wanted to save that character so you went out out of your way not only to save her but i became the good guy you wanted to bring her back to the good side she had gone to the dark side she had been releasing her anger not understanding why these jedi masters this whole time have been repressing emotions and it's sort of this interesting touching scene that it made and man over a decade later i still remember that character that's how well done the character was I think in the Mass Effect series, and anyone who's played that knows these characters, um, such as Garrus. Uh, <laughs> Garrus is this just really cool guy. He's like, 
you know, uh, he reminds me a lot of, um, he reminds a lot of some of my very best friends that I think of, uh, Justin, who, who become kind of like, uh, brothers to you, you know, it's like your, it's your, your brother your whole time, you know what I mean? Cool. Uh, and that's how Garris is. He's just that guy who goes through everything with you, uh, thick and thin, always by your side, and it's just a interesting sort of companionship that your main character Shepard makes with this guy named Garrus a friendship there and and so many different types of personalities aboard your ship through these three games and one of the coolest things about these three games your choice is carried over from one game to the other to the other oh cool and uh, it was just awesome now one problem and here's here's an interesting issue and I'm going to bring this question back to you after you Steve okay <laughs> uh, and this is an interesting debate that writers have do we write organically or do we write with structure? And those who write with structure typically have better endings to their stories than those who write organically. However, those who tend to write organically tend to have faster moving stories, stories that really kind of bring you in, but they typically tend to end rather poorly. And mm -hmm. unfortunately, that would probably be the one thing about Mass Effect, the trilogy, Great story, great journey, three games, loved it. The ending, sort of lackluster. Um, so where do, you th where do you stand on that yourself, though, when, when it comes to storytelling? Do you think, hey, organically, structurally, where, where do you stand with that? Personally, I really enjoy structure. I like working within a structure. Um, you know, when you're writing a poem, you mm -hmm. know, a, a structured poem with meter and, and rhyme and things, you're working within a structure. You know, and if you think about it that way, I mean, if you're writing a, a chapter n novel, you're working within a structure. You want the novels, the chapters to do certain things. And you have to have structure at some point. So yeah. why not choose structure to make the whole a better instead mm -hmm. of just saying, you know what, I'll choose this much structure and no further. So, you know, when when I write or when I had written in the in the past, I would it would be very structured to the point where um certain plot points need to be addressed. And it, this would be, you know, I would I would have the story, have the characters and things like that, and then just sort of fill in the blanks that I had been missing. You know, if I didn't have a a, a mentor character or whatever, I'd say to myself, well, you know, I don't want a stereotypical one, so I sort of rethink the story and say, okay, well, then maybe this character could serve there, or maybe I'll just inject another character or whatever. Um, so I'm always pro more structure because I don't want a story to end poorly, even if it's, yep. you know, I mean, I, I read comic books in the 80s where, you know, I was, I was reading The Watchmen off the shelf. So, you know, every month you grab this thing and half an hour later you're just like man i can't wait for the next 29 days and and you know 23 and a half hours because you know this i have to have the next chapter of this and by the time you get to the 12th chapter the 12th issue and you see where the story went you're just like what <laughs> you know yeah so I had these good, I mean, at, during the year that I was reading it, I had these good feelings towards it, towards the story, towards how they were doing it and everything. And then how it ended, you're just like, it, it just, it sours the whole thing. 
It's yeah. like, you know, you you drank a really nice glass of milk and then at the end of it there's like a, a dog hair in it or something. And you're just like, oh, man. You know, it could have been the best milk in the world and now it's just dog hair milk. <laughs> so true. So, you know, that's that's me personally. I understand writing organically. I do. But the thing is, you can write organically inside structure. Yeah. You know, if you set yourself, you're just going to say, I'm going to do A, B, A, B poetry, and I'm going to do uh, eight lines, um, you know, uh, or f- four lines, eight stanzas. Okay, well, yeah, you're putting some structure in there. You know, you know where it's going to end up. You know how it's how you need to pace it and stuff. But it's not telling you what word choices to make. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not saying that you can't force a rhyme. It's not saying that you can't, you know, uh, abbreviate a, a word to fill in a space. You can do all that. You have that freedom inside the structure. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of times people, you know, they'll have a good story and you'll read it or watch it or whatever and at the end you're just like yeah but it really didn't address this you know it sort of put this forth as if it was a fact when it's not and Mm. you know it it didn't examine it to the point where it needed to to make its point so you know that's what i find a lot of trouble um when i'm coming uh when i'm experiencing a story with uh with more uh, organic uh, freedom than than structure. And uh, I would have to agree completely with you, Steve. That's actually uh, the structure I'm doing with uh, with my novel writing. You know, I, I plot things out. I think of the end. And I do give life to the characters. I let them live. And if something needs to change, it does change. But I ensure that I know where I'm going. I know how it's going to end. Mm-hmm. You know, and... Um, Maybe that's something that games should do too. Know how you're going to end. No matter how, regardless of all the different choices that players can make, know how you're going to end. Because really, the ending is that's the last impression that is left upon players, upon a reader. You want your last impression to be even more profound than your first impression. Mm hmm. And because uh, that's what you're gonna you're leave with, man. Is, is, that's it. That's what you're gonna turn off your system, walk in the other room, and hang out with your friends. And that's what you're gonna be thinking about is how that how that ending was. Yep. And uh, for a lot of people, uh, Mass Effect Three, the way it ended, left a lot of people with a sour taste in their mouth. Now, I don't. I'm not giving up on Bioware. They they're a great company, great writers. I'm sure they'll rebound just fine. In fact, I got to be at E3 and see their next uh, game they're working on, and it looks fantastic. And just real quickly, and, E3 is... Oh, yeah. E3 is the Electronic Expo. It's, it's basically the biggest expo in America. It's like Comic-Con uh, for video games. Yeah, basically it's a Comic-Con for video games. There's a bigger one in Germany. It has like 190,000 people or something like that. It's crazy like E4 one. or something. Yeah, like E4 on steroids or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, E3, no, E3 is closed to the public. Um it's just for the media and whatnot. Um, I got to go as a, as a guest at Bioware. It was really fun. Wow! Really enjoyed it. Um, great guys there. Uh, just just a lot a lot of fun to be there and, and see some of the things that are going on and, and whatnot. It was, it was a blast. Very cool. Now, um, when we're talking about video games, when we're talking about uh, consoles, PCs, um, some of our listeners may not understand how the generations work in that could you give like a little brief breakdown of that 
Brief, yeah, abs- absolutely. And, and there is, of course, a difference between PC uh, gamers and console gamers, um, as they would say. Your PC basically is, it kind of reminds me of a, of a kid with a really, really expensive hot rod. Um, they can't really, they don't really have a house or anything like that, but they have this hot rod that they're dumping money into, all kinds of money. I mean, it's, it's expensive. And it never goes anywhere because they can't afford to drive it. <laughs> but that's, that's no no offense to PC gamers, but PC gaming is expensive. Okay. And uh, that that is for the top of line stuff, though. I mean, you 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 spend some good money. Uh, just looking over some stuff, I was thinking about building my own computer, and some of these next gen uh, video cards go for about a thousand, twelve hundred dollars a pop. Wow. And you're doing that every single year, just your video card. Now you just your video card. Sometimes you got to upgrade now your motherboard and your processor and your RAM and and your hard drive space. Now you need to upgrade that. And you can spend thousands and thousands of dollars every single year upgrading for. That's probably why I've avoided PC gaming for the most part. I play a little bit here and there, but not very often. Now, console gamings are basically, um, oh man, they're kind of for simpletons like myself. (laughs) You know, you just kind of buy the console, it plays games, you can plug it into your TV, and it works. It's like Atari, ColecoVision, those were probably most people's first uh, consoles. Yes. And that's what we're talking about when we come into there. Um, Now, how do the generations work? What, What exactly. You know, where did that come in? Where where did people start uh, defining generations of video game consoles? Well, it depends on who you talk to. If you talk to some of the bigger game companies like EA, they would defend uh, define it uh, with the beginning of the Sony console. But most people would say it started with the first Nintendo, the mm-hmm. 8-bit Nintendo with Mario, with Donkey Kong. Uh, which was followed by Super Nintendo and the Sega Genesis, and that was followed by the Nintendo 64 and, and on, onward and so forth. And uh, each generation then, the big the big generation that most people probably, more my age probably, really remember is when um, you know, PS1 came onto the scene. The re- and that was after a big, kind of a big fight between Sony and Nintendo where a deal kind of fell through. So Sony said, you know what, we'll make our own system. So up comes the PS1, the PlayStation 1. Mm-hmm. And uh, then finally Microsoft said, hey, we can make money doing games too. Let's make more money. All right. And they jumped <laughs> in. You have your Xbox. <laughs> and that's basically how that all started. And, and today you, you have three main console, uh, consoles. You have the, um, the Nintendo, uh, which is now a Wii U. You have okay. the Xbox 360, which would be considered last gen. And current gen or generation would be the Xbox One. And you have the PlayStation 4, which is considered current gen. Really, the generation is defined by a leap in technology, mm-hmm. is essentially what it is. So these new systems, the old systems really struggled with 30 frames per second. They got, they got it right sometimes. And they're mostly uh, 720p resolution that would sometimes be upscaled close to 1080p, but not really. Mm-hmm. So the PS4 comes onto the scene and it can do true 1080p resolution and has a 60 frames per second uh, type thing. So there's a graphic upgrade. It, it looks better. That's the best way to describe it. It just looks better. It <laughs> it's, looks, like, it's like we, HDTV versus yes. regular TV. Yes, LCD, okay. LED, all that kind of stuff. Right. So each generation, and here's the the cool thing is because the technology gets better, these console gamers, which there are more console gamers than PC gamers. So the consoles essentially drive the market. 
they enable the market. So PC games, even though they're, they already have 4K resolution in the PC realm, there are no 4K games because consoles can't be 4K. And so consoles determine how far games really go. This is important because with each new generation now, you got these writers, you got these dudes who say, okay, what can we do next? Where can we drive storytelling next? So that's why the beginning of a generation cycle is pretty exciting. He's like, wow, there's a lot of cool technology there. I wonder what they're going to do with it. How, where are they going to take storytelling now? Are they going to really reach for the stars and kind of drive the potential out there? Or are they going to just, hey, let's just cash in. Let's just make the same thing over and over again. Let's just do <laughs> stupid stuff. That, that happens. And some people say, hey, you know, like the Call of Duty series, I don't think it's changed in the last, you know, 10 years. But it makes a billion dollars every year, so they don't feel it has to change. So oh, wow. it, it just it, it just depends, you know. And uh, I was really excited, though. There's this game called The Witcher 3 coming out. Now, what is that again? The Witcher? The Witcher 3, yeah. The Witcher is based on a uh, series of short stories written in Poland. Unfortunately, not all of them are in English yet. So, it's like, <laughs> <laughs> so we don't even know how it ends, you know. you got to be Polish uh, or speak Polish. Uh, anyway, um, it's it's been a great series. It's been an interesting series. It's actually oh man, okay, I'll give it a little bit away. It's fantasy with a touch of sci-fi. Cool. I'll leave it at that. Uh, but um, The Witcher Three has this character named Geralt, and it's been his trilogy. This is where he ends now. And speaking of endings, this is it's gonna be interesting to see how they end this series. And uh, he shows up on the scene uh, with amnesia doesn't remember who he is, and he's trying to find this woman he loves, but he can't even remember who she is. And he becomes a Jedi? <laughs> and he becomes a Jedi, and he has to decide between light and dark. <laughs> no, nice. No, you actually find out that um, he was part of this thing called the Wild Hunt, and I will give a little bit of this away, too, so spoilers, whatever. But basically, you have, from another dimension, there are these elves, and they're very, very advanced they're so advanced they can break into other dimensions. And what they do, these guys are pretty twisted. Uh, they go into other dimensions and they sort of just capture people and have fun with them, you know, kind of whatever to them, you know. Mm -hmm. And they had captured Geralt at one point. They came into his dimension. They ride around. They look like spirits, but they're not actually spirits. They're just from another a dimension with technology and stuff. Kind of like the Asgardians coming down to Earth. Okay. And Geralt is the only one to ever escape them. And their leader is now hunting him. And so you finally are going to come face-to-face -face with this guy uh, of uh, this wild hunt in The Witcher 3 Wild Hunt. Mm -hmm. That's the reason it's called Wild Hunt. Anyway, um, <laughs> but it's, it's, it's sort of an interesting twist there. you got this sort of sci-fi element out of nowhere uh, that comes into this fantasy. Mm -hmm. And I know some people have different feelings on whether or not the two should mix. I'm all for it. I, oh, yeah. I, if it's a good story, I think go for it. <laughs> oh, yeah. so, it's been a good story so far. I've really enjoyed it. Uh, choice is great. There's a lot of choice. There are a lot of uh, themes. Excuse me, themes going on. I think the characters are really well done. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if they can end it, uh, which should be the the biggest challenge for them is is trying to give a satisfying ending. But you know, the first two games were pretty good, uh, pretty solid. So I'm hoping that the the last game will be uh, solid as well. But you know. Uh, don't know. Don't know if it will be or not. You know, I, it just it all depends. But, uh, man, there are just a lot of good games that are going to come out, you know. 
but uh, storytelling to me, it's it's always going to be about the story. It's always going to be about you know um, what is the story saying? Uh, what does it have to say about things like redemption? Things that are important to us as Christians, you know, redemption, mm-hmm. um, forgiveness, being forgiven, being redeemed. Um, I, I love that element where you really give. You give um, a face to the bad guy, a, a motivation why this person's a bad guy, and then give them a chance to become a good guy, a, a chance to sort of repent for what they've done, but also showing real consequences for actions. Real, and that's that's something that Witcher does very well. It shows consequences for your actions. We live in an age where uh, responsibility is sort of out the out the window. You know, mm-hmm. no one's taking responsibility for their actions. Yeah. And how important it is to teach, hey, guess what? Whether you want to try to be oblivious to it or not, you are responsible for your actions. And, and our actions affect those around us. They really do. Yeah. No matter how small the action, if it's sin, it will affect those around of, around us. If it's honoring God, it's going to affect those around us. And um, that's just so important. And that's something that needs to be done, of course, uh, in, in games. It's a story, whatever. Uh, I know that, quote unquote, their games are you playing them, whatever, but show consequences for actions. And show what those what the real consequences are. If you do evil, show what really happens when you're doing evil, right? Because it leads to dark, dark, depressing places. Yeah. And um, you know, and, and maybe that's maybe that's why also I'm kind of uh, I don't really play those Call of Duty games. I think that um, you know, it's showing war, and people may mock me for this, but um. War is a grisly thing. Yeah, it, it's it's not really a fun thing ever. You don't want to glamorize it. No, I mean I understand. Okay, it's a Star Wars battle. Maybe it's just some fantasy elements, and but when it, when it's just down dirty war, you're taking another human being's life. It, the value of human life should never be underestimated, right? Or just kind of glossed over, man. I, I just anyway, that's just me just rambling. Though. No, it's good. That's good. <laughs> What what do you think like for younger kids, um, you know, early teens, uh, you know, middle teens? What do you think would be some really good video games for them to, if if they're into video games, what would be some good ones for them? Well, first off, um, I think parents have to make sure they're taking an active role if their kids are playing games. Amen. Uh, you have to. You have. You can't just say, "Well, my kids are playing some game over there." I, I don't know. Uh, you know death to everyone to part two or something like that i don't know <laughs> you know but make sure you know what those games are don't just look at the cover but make really make sure you know what they're playing yeah and uh because there's a lot of thing themes in games that are not good mm-hmm. you know there are a lot of things that are demonic a lot of things that just are no good you don't want in their life you don't want in their system yeah. it doesn't belong in their head yeah. um but some games that are good i mean especially if you're a preteen, uh the, those lego games are fantastic are they they are really fun. Even as an adult, they're fun. But they're, they're just they're just really they got that sense of humor. They're just sort of just cool, man. They make you think <laughs> you do some puzzles, and it, they have a, you know Hulk sitting there and you know, Hulk smash, and uh, it's just it's just really good. I really enjoyed it. Uh, Spider Man doing his little uh, sarcasm here and there, nice, and uh, just all good humor, and it brought the characters to life. And I think all the different Lego games they have like Lego Star Wars, Lego. Hobbit, Lego, Lord of the Rings, Lego, everything just about. Um, I think those are fantastic games. Mar- you can never go wrong with Mario or Mario Kart or Smash Brothers. Uh, you know, Nite- Nintendo, Kart, yeah. Nintendo, just is a master of, of producing games for for kids that are, that are good. 
because they they don't they don't necessarily do so good in the story department but they kind of skip over that and they jump right to the gameplay and they have fantastic gameplay that's just timeless yeah and we're, uh, we're addicted to mario kart yeah yeah <laughs> mario kart man it's good stuff you know and then, no well let me let me correct it though they do do a good job of zelda i i love i do miss the zelda games i think they're fantastic stories and uh, i also miss some of the metroid stuff um especially the 2d metroid but uh those are some of the games i really do remember uh Super Metroid on the 64. It was just fantastic. Cool. Um, yeah, it was 64. But, um, yeah, I mean, those are some of the games that I would gear towards. And, you know, just because it's popular, don't necessarily go for it. You know, I'd probably stay away from some of the horror games. <laughs> Manhunt, you know. <laughs> those games aren't necessarily so good. You just got to be careful, you know. Um, like, for instance, though, the same studio that makes Grand Theft Auto also made a really fantastic game that was really good all the way through. One of the best Western games I've ever played in my life called Red Dead Redemption. And I would, I would highly recommend that to anybody. Really? It really brought the Wild West to life. Fantastic. A really good story. If you like Westerns, you'll love the game. What they did there was just perfect. It was very authentic. I really felt like I was living in the Wild West. Um, and it was nothing really profane or anything like that. Um, okay. No drug use. <laughs> drug that, use know. in the old west. <laughs> didn't have any of that, so it's nice. It was fun. It was it was very very well done. So, um, but again, if you're a parent, you want to research stuff. You want to know this stuff. You know, you, you want to be active and involved in your kid's life. Yeah. Even, and I tell you what, those kids are gonna like it a lot more if you're sitting there. Maybe if you want to play a game with them, and then if you're sitting there playing a game with them, they're gonna be more eager to jump outside with you and go do other stuff with you too. Because like, hey. Dad, hey mom, you're you're involved in my life. What, yeah. what else do you want to do together? Yeah. Let's go for a walk in the park. Sounds good to me, you know. And uh, it, it just show them your care, you know. Yeah, just show them love, time. It's <laughs> awesome. And uh, you, one of the things you have to watch out for if you're a parent is the uh, the chat rooms or I don't know what they call it, the scrolling chat stuff at the bottom Man. of some screens. Man, uh, well that's more PC gaming. You don't okay. only have that too much in console gaming. Although console gaming. Uh, there's a couple things there. Yeah, when you're, especially on Xbox Live, you're playing Halo or whatever. Uh, yeah, people, of course, they're starting to monitor that a little bit more. I, I have not played on the Xbox One yet, uh, but apparently they are doing a better job of this sort of monitoring. But I know on the Xbox 360, you know, it, it's very commonplace to have people give you the uh, the F-bombs, the, mm -hmm. the sexual jokes, the crude, lewd, and rude type stuff happens very yeah. frequently, especially with 12-year-olds. I don't know why, but that age group seems to be uh, the kind that, that get on there, and you'll hear some things you shouldn't hear and you don't want to hear. Hmm. And uh, it's pretty rampant, but you know, I think the reason is because there's no face behind the voice. Right. I think that's the thing, the whole internet anyway. If you don't have a, oh, there's no responsibility. No one's going to know it's me. I can say whatever I want. They're, just, they're not even people anyway. They're just voices out there. So, they, so people are rude and, and crude. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and be careful. I would say, and this is something I've noticed, be careful when you go into forums on websites for games. Uh, a lot of them are just so negative. <laughs> so, just like negativity about the game or just negativity neg for negativity's sake? I guess I think negativity towards each other. 
even the they they call themselves fanboys, and you got these some guys that that swear by Sony, and some guys that swear by Microsoft, and they hate on each other. And then these guys come in, they swear by PC gaming, and they and it's like, what are you guys doing? Wow, <laughs> it's just really bizarre. It, and it's like it's almost like politics. Like hey, we're Republicans, we're Democrats, <laughs> we're Independents, and we hate you all. It's all your fault. No, it's all your fault. And it's just it's like what in the world? You know, people want to divide themselves into groups so easily. And I just say avoid that kind of nonsense. You yeah. know, it's just it's not productive. It doesn't build anyone up. And but at the same time, you know, um, there are some good games out there. There really are. And uh, it's like there's good novels out there. There's there's good good movies out there. Fewer and far between the movie realm, but there's there's movies out there, and uh, you know, um, I know a lot of writers though uh, are going into the game industry because they really feel that a golden age of writing within the game industry is starting to happen. And there were some great games last year. I think of Tomb Raider. I think of uh, Bioshock Infinite, Last of Us, that started to push it towards like wow the games can be have some great stories and it does make me excited for what the future of storytelling in video games might look like with some great writers behind it giving voices to some cool characters some original characters i'm hoping more three-dimensional characters you know um and uh just to see what happens you know and it, it could be good it could be tragic I, i'm not really sure <laughs> we go anywhere i don't know but it, it's always good to see you know and and uh Hopefully, hopefully there's some just they're not just giving all flash, you know, they're not just showing great graphics, but they're giving some substance and hopefully some Christians with some godly messages who are inspired by Christ, who have the love of Christ in their hearts are working. And I know there's some there's some great Christians in the video game ministry. And I hope some of those messages get into there, too, you know, get into that game and, and just impact people, impact people, connect with people. Impact people for the good. Yeah, you know, uh, show them that there is purpose in life. Show them that that uh, light does overcome darkness, and it's not this equal fight. Good is going to overcome because God's good, and there's no equal to Him. <laughs> you know, yeah. and, and, and different things like that. You know, and, and just infuse that stuff in there. You know, and um, mm, I just think that that's that's some some things to kind of look out for and whatnot. And and uh, but I always agree with you, Steve. One of the best books you can always read is the Bible, and and uh, you know, from there, just discern it. If it's not in the Word, it's a gray area. Pray about it. Pray yeah. about it. Be in prayer about it. Yeah. And, and that's what that's what I kind of go with everything I do. Is that, Father, is this something good? Is this going to be good for me? And just talk with God about it. He wants to hear from me anyway. So yeah, uh, He'd be happy to share with you. <laughs> and that's the, that's the genius of the Bible because <laughs> when you look at other scriptures, when you're, or you know what they call holy books, or whatever. It, a lot of the times, it's it's rules and it's regulations. Regu, <laughs> try that one more time. It's <laughs> rules and regulations and things not to do. And a lot of it is cultural and specific to that time. I mean, you look at the Old Testament, for example. You have a lot of cultural, specific to that time uh, things. And when people look at the Bible, they'll say, oh, well, what about this? What about, you know, that? And a lot of times, they're taking those things out of it because... Some of them would be ridiculous if we tried to, you know, live by them today. It, it, they're not for us. But yeah. the genius of the Bible is when you look at all the, the stuff that's in there, it has ways to deal with things that are nowadays. It talks about things that you can make 
you know, almost one-to-one equations with what happened then to what's happening now. Mm. And also when it has things which it really does not address, there's that, you know, that in the Greek it's called adiaphora, which is basically, you know, it's, it's, it might be bad for me to do something and not bad for you to do it. You know, mm-hmm. I've I've had struggles with, you know, X. So, you know, I, if I work too much around X, then, you know, it, it's it's going to be a problem for me. Yeah. Well, you've never had a problem with X. And actually X, you know, works something in your spiritual life that, that's wonderful. God can use that for you. And for me, it, w- it would be it would be wrong for me to do it. But not wrong for you to do it. So you know, it's it's one of those things we have to be careful because the Bible is very clear about certain things. I mean, murder is not good for me, and <laughs> yeah, and it's also not good for you. We can't really, you know, gloss over those things as well. But where it doesn't speak specifically, we can have that freedom, like you said, in Christ, and um, you know, come to our own decisions about it after we pray through it and read everything we can about it in scripture and, and try to, you know, glean those little hints that are in there and then talk to some godly counsel and, you know, see what other people of faith are, are you know, how they're dealing with it. So, you know, that, that wonderful part of scripture where we have that freedom in Christ, you know, I, I think that's, that's huge. Yeah, and uh, you know, I think uh, just to add to that, just thinking about what the Apostle Paul said, uh, one of my pastors has always said, and, and it just really touches my heart. It's uh, in the essentials, you know, unity. Yeah. Jesus, God, you know, died on the cross, rose again. In non-essentials, liberty. Mm-hmm. But in all things, so important. In all things, love. Love, charity. And that, that's the main thing, man. You know, it, and it's something me doing my freedom is offending someone who's over at my house. Well, you know what? I'm going to stop doing that because I want to love that person. Yep. So and that's, that's the most important thing. But awesome. um, yeah, that, that's that's kind of kind of where I see that sort of thing going. Yeah. The, the, those three, um, that little triad, it, it's just a beautiful thing because you can deal with people then. You know, if they're off, off of of orthodoxy, you can tell where and and when. If they're just choosing things that, you know, the audiophora thing, and if if they just have something that they're doing that's okay for them, that's not okay for you, just stay away from during those times. You know, mm-hmm. you know whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, let them have that, and you don't have to indulge in it. And mm-hmm. then, you know, obviously, if you're not doing any, if you're not doing it all in love. You know what are you a sounding gong? Mm-hmm. You know, so you're just you're you're nothing. Um, now, what, when we talk about storytelling, when we talk about strong characters, when we talk about um, how the gaming industry has grown since you know Donkey Kong, yeah. Where, in your best opinion, if you if you could direct it, if you could guide it, if you could have your hand in the next five, ten, fifteen years of you know, consoles, PCs, the whole thing. Where would you bring those storytelling uh, threads, those uh, strong character threads? Where, where, where do you think is the high ground that this thing could possibly get to? Well, one of the biggest things would be when I get done playing a video game, I don't think 
that was a lot like a novel. Well, that was a lot like a movie. Or that was a lot like a play. But I think, man, that was that was a really good piece of interactive entertainment. Mm-hmm. That was fantastic. You know, when I can start thinking that way, when it's not, you know, when I go to a film, I expect to watch a film. I know the difference between a film and a play. I know in theater and live theater, I know what the difference is between a novel and even a graphic novel. Mm-hmm. And when games can kind of distinguish themselves, and especially from the film industry, there, there's there's still a lot of that in the gaming industry where they're, they're so impacted by Hollywood. Don't know why, but they're so <laughs> impacted by Hollywood. You know, in when they can kind of say, "Hey, this is a, a new." Uh, media format for storytelling. This is our generation's for, uh, format for storytelling, just like film was a couple generations ago mm-hmm. for storytellers. And they can really get the excitement of being a writer and saying, how can I use this now? Look what, what I have to my advantage. Not only do I have moving pictures and sound, and I could even have you know notebooks that you can read so you can actually have like writing, you know, like novel type stuff within the in, in the game world as well, but now I'm able to interact with the reader in ways that novels and movies cannot. Mm-hmm. And I'm able to impact them differently because now they're able to go into my story world and impact that world. And one of the biggest things that could happen is to when storytellers and games start making the world every much a living, breathing character as any of the other characters are. And so that I can see so the ramifications of everything I'm doing, the details in the world that I'm living in, how I'm impacting it or not impacting it, depending on my choices. And, and to really see that, I mean, and to really bring characters to life like that, I think that that's a big, big thing. I think also creating three-dimensional characters. And when I say that, some people might not know what I mean. Um, <laughs> I think the best thing to say is, as human beings, we're not one-dimensional. You know, you look at some, look at Abraham, for instance, in the Bible. Mm-hmm. This guy, man of faith, you know, father of faith. And, he, and I, <laughs> hey, I'm not dissing Abraham. I love Abraham. Good guy. Yeah. I know he's in heaven, uh, God of Abraham. Mm-hmm. But look at the moments he was in Egypt. Abraham, what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> Why are you going to Egypt? Why? You, hey, just say you're my sister. That way, <laughs> I don't die. You'll get, you know, <laughs> taken by some strange guy. But don't worry. Yeah. I'll be fine. You know, just things like that. You're like, what? What are you doing, Abraham? And why? Because he's human. Mm-hmm. Because we have lapses. Because we're not just this one-dimensional person. And when characters in games can be like that, then you're saying, okay, now you're getting characters right. Because now they're being more human. Now I can, now I can really connect with these characters. Now I can get behind this character. Now, hey, that's touching me. When when a game can evoke emotion like a novel can. Mm-hmm. And I think I don't think anything, and even games at their highest point, I still don't think they're going to equal the novel. I think the novel is the ultimate form of storytelling. That's just my personal opinion. Wow. Uh, that the novel just has because there's one thing I don't know. Maybe they can do it sometime somehow get it to work in games. But the novel goes deep into the soul of the characters hmm. uh, because you're seeing the mind, the window of the mind, and that's that's what movies struggle with. It's what plays struggle with. Uh, that the window of the mind, and really, I mean, Jesus talks about it all the time. That's it's really where the heart is being displayed. It's kind of like the movie. Pro- the, the heart is the movie projector, and it's displaying on your mind. That's what's going on in your heart. Right. And when you see that within a person, in a character, you're really able to connect with them because now you you start to get a real 
true understanding of their truest nature of who they are and uh i would say of games the closer they get to that not emulating a novel but getting the characters and breathing into them life and allowing reader uh, the player or reader the audience to connect with them the stronger that connection the better it is for everybody involved because that makes the story more real and more impacting and now you really care about the story because you don't care about hero if you don't know hero and if hero's uh loved one dies and you didn't really care you didn't have any relationship established between the hero and the loved one you just don't really care but but now if 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 hero has a name and his name is steve because steve is a heroic name and (laughs) and steve's beautiful bride is kidnapped by the evil bad guy and this is his bride he waited his whole life for and 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 just fell and you got this huge backstory and and, oh man now you're just you're you're sweating you want to know if steve's gonna get back his bride and you want oh and you just get behind it and, and I think that's the importance of the story. And, and then to be able to interweave themes that matter. There's another thing, too. Number three, how about that? Themes that matter. Nice. And when I say themes that matter, I mean that have substance. Not just like, you know, hey, flowers grow and they're pretty and unicorns fly. Everything's good. <laughs> I, mean, I, mean, just, I mean, how about something that matters? Like, hey, you were made with a purpose. You have a purpose. And it's not... You were created with a purpose. And yes, your life has meaning. And you're not a meaningless nothing. But you really do matter. You matter to the creator. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, how about, how about something that impact? How about what, what love really is? That love is not just about me fulfilling my lust. But no, love <laughs> is about me dying to myself and sacrificing myself for others. That's love, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's not self serving. It's others oriented, and get get some real themes in there that just start impacting people. And I tell you what, the the game company that starts doing that, it's going to be risky. They might be mocked at first, but I tell you what, they're going to make games that start impacting people. And people are like, dude, I want to. Th- those guys know how to tell stories. Those are some, I, I you know, and that, you know, that's kind of how I am when I go to a Bioware game. I, I'm expecting a great story. I'm expecting really great characters. You start making games like that, man. I'll be like, okay, yep, that's a day one purchase right there. I want to know what's going on. (laughs) Nice. Well, I think we have covered a ton of stuff. (laughs) And no, I really, I I think this is a, we've done a lot. And I I think it may have actually opened up um, a lot of uh, uh, things that maybe people would be interested in hearing uh, more about certain things. Uh, more in depth about you know maybe things that we didn't cover you know I, I know we didn't get into a Christian video game stuff like that yeah. um, so th- I think this might be a, a good kickoff to um, see what our listeners uh, want to hear more about and uh, I know we haven't really covered video games much at all in our first hundred episodes um, <laughs> so you know hey listeners. Let's uh, throw it back to you. What do you want to hear? Uh, what do you want to hear about uh, concerning video games or anything in this whole ball of wax? Um, you know, Lucas, I, I want to thank you very much for joining us. Um, ben, Jace, playing hooky. Hope you had fun at the old fishing hole or wherever you went. And um, I think I will kick it over to you for a final word if you have any. Oh, man. A final word. Uh, I appreciate being on here. It was a lot of fun, you know. And uh, 
I just uh, I just hope everyone's doing good and you're finding good stories and there's there's a story everywhere everywhere yeah. you look a story yeah. everywhere you look is inspiration for stories so you're living a story you are a story in fact the Bible says you're his poema his masterpiece mm. and uh, he's writing it he's writing your life just keep trusting in him he's working all things together for the good to those who love him Amen. Great words there. All right. uh, In the words of our Ben Avery, I will end with Godspeed. You've been listening to the Strangers and Aliens podcast, hosted by Ben Avery, Steve MacDonald, and Dr. Jace O'Neill. Our music was composed and mixed by Tim Leffel. Please join in the conversation by visiting our website, strangersandaliens.com, where you will find show notes, articles, reviews, and more. You can also email us directly at podcast at strangersandalien.com or like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash strangers or you can leave us a voicemail on the Strangers and Aliens hotline. Just call 1-804-37-ALIEN and leave your message. And once again, thanks for listening. This podcast is part of the Christian Geek Central Network at ChristianGeekCentral.com. Look at the C's mini podcast. But I call him Dana. <laughs> Welcome, everybody, to our mini podcast. Uh, we're going to talk about the new Thor movie, Dark World. Basically, the plot is that these bad guys, and they're basically trying to take over Asgard. It's an interesting plot. I think there's uh, some contrived things here and there. But I think altogether, the plot really worked pretty well for a Thor movie. Yeah, yeah. You know, so Thor Dark World, fantastic. I thought, in some ways, fun, fun movie. Uh, some things didn't make sense. But other than that, good movie. I, I thought it was good. The plot was, had some good elements. The main villain of the Dark Elf wasn't quite as deep or as impacting as he should have been. But then there are characters like Loki that just cracked you up, full of uh, just ingenious mischief, a very twisted character, but one that was sort of almost stealing the show. Every time he was on the screen, you're like, whoa, hey, it's Loki. Okay, you're just kind of paying attention to him and, and just very well done. It's just one of those characters that you could tell they love playing that character and it really shows in their performance and i thought thor was also very well done i think he felt more like thor in this movie there's some fun parts of that story that made you laugh and you followed through with it felt a little long yeah some things they feel a little contrived maybe but yeah overall pretty good yeah i agree with you a lot of the characters were really good in this movie i really wish they had used the big bad guy malekith as the thor series in the 1980s the whole walt simonson arc but bringing it back to the theme of the whole movie with the darkness and the light very basic but at the same time using that theme to jump off to tell a really fun story even with a whole bunch of plot holes but of course you know without good characters the theme is going to fall flat so i think a lot of times thor really carried off the light part of the aspect where you have the big dark dark world about to happen and then you have thor doing what thor does especially the whole thing with loki and how he reacts with thor and against thor and the the whole thing with him being loki i thought it's genius i think it was fantastic uh i didn't really feel that way about odin and maybe that's just me i felt odin he's a great actor 
I love Anthony Hopkins, and I think at times he's cool, but I don't know. I just don't feel like he's the super powerful Odin from the comics. Yeah, I see what you mean. In the comic books, his wife doesn't die. It was a lot more going on, and then, you know, Odin, something bad happens to him. You know, go and find them. The Walt Simonson comic books, they're actually much better than this movie, and uh, very well done, and, and just amazing, amazing storytelling. And this, uh, the, the ending is interesting, and you never get the feeling that it's going to end any, anything different. So, as much as that is, I mean, in any movie, you're going to have that. You're going to have the, the light winning, and almost always. So not a big deal as long as you go into that knowing it and you're just there for the ride. You're going to ride it out. You're going to figure out the little mystery things and the clues and everything like that and have fun doing that. I think it's a, it's a fun movie to get into that. And that's what I enjoyed about it. It was fun. It was just a blast. Marvel is getting it. They're, they're unleashing some movies that are just good that are, are knocking out of the ballpark, hitting some home runs, throwing some touchdowns. But you kind of know what's going to be happening in the Marvel universe uh, of movies, and it looks good. So uh, I'm liking it. Spook is a C's mini podcast. But I call him Dana. <laughs>